Hi, I'm Mikey Domegala, and welcome to episode 13 of Inside Buzz. On today's episode, we're doing something a little unprecedented. We have a joint interview with Ryan Hollins and Brendan Hayward, two NBA veterans who played over 10 years in the NBA. Hollins and Hayward both had similar paths, in the league and outside of the league. Both players played 10 plus years in the NBA, and outside of it, they both became broadcasters for affiliations like ESPN, NBA TV, CBS, and other affiliations as well. Both players, while in quarantine, started the Opinionated 7-Footers podcast, and you could also see them on their Instagram Live every night, discussing and bantering and telling NBA stories. First off, Brendan, Ryan, thanks for coming on. Ryan, you know, you're my first guest on episode one of Inside Buzz. I appreciate you guys coming on, and guys, welcome to the show. Hey, bro, hats off to you for, for still doing your thing, man. I see that the, the background is popping. You got you got the cameras everywhere, man. You've been killing it, bro. Listen, I've, I've come a long way. Every episode's been improving, whether it's the guests and my stuff. So, guys, let's hop right into it. So, how'd you guys get started with Opinionated 7-Footers? And tell me about the Instagram Lives that you guys do every night. Well, for Brendan and myself, man, you know what's funny? We're, 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 we're what was it, kindred spirits? Or how's that go, Brendan? I always mess up a phrase. He picks me up. Um, but <laughs> we're both 7-Footers. Ironically, we're both very good at math. Both played John Madden well, both very uh, opinionated, so to speak. And that's where the pod kind of came from. And, you know, for myself, I always prided myself on kind of outsmarting people in arguments. Where the mouthy, I like to have the last word. And Brendan is the only guy I couldn't <laughs> get the last word with. And we no would sorry. bicker, bro, we would bicker in pickup ball. We would bicker <clears throat> over just little things during the year. He'd be like, hey, man, you a hack. He'd be like, nah, you a hack. Well, how you got five fouls and I got none? Like, we would go at it. And, you know, B was always All like facts. a big brother. And it carried on even past that into broadcasting. We both got into broadcasting. I'm looking over. I'm like, man, as I'm grinding on my path, he's doing his thing. And we'd be behind the scenes <clears> arguing <throat> and going at it. And whenever we'd be on radio, we'd be on television, NBA TV, Sirius XM, whatever it was, we would just have these good basketball conversations because we can go back and forth with each other, have, you know, keeping it light, keeping it fun, but at the same time, very fun and informative. And we had everywhere from our own agents to executives to, you know, respected players saying, man, you guys need a podcast. You guys need a podcast. Mm -hmm. And hats off to be wood, man. When um, the COVID-19 hit, he said, hey, hey, dog, we're going to have this podcast. We're going to do it and we're going to put it together. And it was something we had always been a plan and we've been on par with doing, but, you know, push really came to shove and we started the podcast. And also, you know, what it actually started with is we hit an IG live and via that IG live, we went on for like two or three hours. And I was like, B, I don't know if we can exhaust two hours, but if we want to build something, we'll go a hot hour every single day, build a fan base, give people daily content, especially while it was, there wasn't much going on in the world via sports. And guys, who do I hear in the background? Brandon, off camera, you're telling me about your newborn. And Ryan, I yeah, just saw man. your daughter walking around. Who we got back there? Listen, man, we got we got a, a, a <laughs> my, my right before I was supposed to come on, man. My my wife dropped my daughter off, man. So I got my my nine week old baby. I got a, a, a Lonnie Joy Haywood in my arms. So we, I'm hoping that she she's a cutie, man. I'm about to get my shotgun for these boys that are coming soon. But uh, I'm hoping that she. She continues to act right for the rest of this interview because my wife didn't give me a pacifier or a bottle or anything. So if she starts cutting up, I don't know if I can stop her. 
That Alani Joy Haywood. That's, that's Alani Joy Haywood. How about you, Ryan? Who you got over there? Yeah, Eve Gail Holland. She feels like she owns me, so she she didn't really care what was going on. You see how the door just casually opened up, and she just sashayed past the camera. She's very, very aware of what's going on. So, so guys, you know, we're in a very weird position coming towards the end of quarantine for COVID-19. The NBA is resuming in Disney in late July. What are you guys' thoughts on it? And if you guys were playing, what would be the ultimate decision? Uh, I, I think, man, that, that situation going on in Orlando is going to be a tough situation. There's going to be a lot of guys that, that want to play, but then there's going to be some guys that haven't got paid that, that don't want to play. We just saw Berton from the Wizards say he's not going. He's a free agent. Um, I saw Tatum and uh, Bam Adebayo talking about maybe some type of insurance. Those guys are up for max extensions. So there, there's going to be some guys that don't want to play, and then there's going to be guys like LeBron James and, and, and some of these other guys that have their legacy set, but they want to go in there and play and hoop and continue. And at the end of the day, I think it's good for business if the league plays. Just simply because if these guys don't play, first of all, they're going to miss out on a billion dollars worth of player salaries. It's going to affect the salary cap for next year. And it also gives the owners a chance to rip up the current CBA and come back with another one. We could be looking at a possible lockout. So a lot of money is involved. I think these guys pretty much have to play. And if I was in the league, if I wasn't in a contract year, I would probably be out there playing. Now, if I was playing for a team that didn't have a shot, like the Wizards, I'd be home with my feet kicked up like Bertans. And hats off to these players because I think they've intelligently gone about it. And, and, and we always thought there may be a guy opts out and says, hey, pulls the Scottie Pippen card and says, I want to enjoy my summer, man. You're not going to mess up my summer break. But in all reality, I agree with Bertans. I agree with Trevor Ariza. And that's something I would do, Brent. I don't know if you ever did this, but every summer I would take off uh, in free agency, I would put an insurance policy on. And that insurance policy was probably worth more money than I made. I, I, I might have did better uh, uh, getting injured and, and, and taking the money, the, 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 as much money I was putting <laughs> into that policy. But it was a safety precaution because not only was I playing for myself, but I was playing for my, uh, my family. So, you know, that, that absolutely came first. And guys, you know, this NBA Disney experience, if you want to call it, NBA rosters are expanding to 15 to 18 players on the roster, depending on, you know, uh, two-way players and players that could be signed. Who are free agents who you would want to see signed to certain teams? Yeah, I, th I think for me, I, I would like to see Jamal Crawford get signed because his, his last game, he dropped 51 off the bench. Like, ball. When you drop 51 in your last game, if you that shouldn't be your last game unless you honestly want to retire. We had Jamal on the podcast. He's a friend of the podcast. He definitely wants to play some more balls. So I would love to see um, uh, Jamal Jamal get a shot. I think Demarcus Cousins as well. I think he'd be a good fit for the Wizards. The Wizards have two guys on their contract on the books. When we talk about John Wall and Bradley Beal, that are high contract guys, man, they need to get another big time player in there that can score. That's not going to cost a lot of money. Man, Demarcus Cousins' value is pretty low right now. You can get him for dirt cheap. And here's the reality. You need these veterans now. If you're a team like the Lakers, the Clippers, or even like the Portland has gone the veteran route because you want to go out and compete for a championship, some of these young guys aren't going to be able to bring a lot to the table in a small or short amount of time. I know who Jamal Crawford is. The same way Portland went out and got Carmelo Anthony, and they've been, they've been reaping the rewards all season long. So obviously you like that those young legs, but there's not a lot of games left. You know what's on the line. And the one thing about being a veteran in the, league, in the league is that you know your body. These guys know what to expect. So I would, I would highly expect uh, a, a lot of these veterans are guys who had 
uh, more experience to be picked up first in this uh, NBA bubble. See, guys, another thing that ties into that, both of what you're saying, what if a player on one of these rosters gets tested positive with coronavirus? Boom, they're off the roster. So they're going to need a ton of replacement players. And, Ryan, I agree with you. Having these veterans on the bench just helps even more. Well, also, a veteran ain't going to be trying to sneak out the bubble. Uh, Brendan, you, you and I both know, and you were joking about, your, you know, your 2011 Wizards squad. I'll let you talk about them a little more. But you have certain teammates that even if it, may, if it makes sense, they're just not going to comply. They're thinking about how to get girls in or how to go out and meet the girls or go party or, or do something or just, just to be oppositional, just to be oppositional. You know, unfortunately, even when you have a million dollars in your hands, you're not going to appreciate it, Bree, but, but you, 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 know, you said that squad would have been doing some wild stuff. I, I, I feel it. And listen, there, there's no way my old school wizard squad would have been able to go into the bubble. We just had too many rule breakers. Gilbert Arenas and... and, and and Nick Young would have been having, like, water balloon fights in the hotels. They would have been pranking each other, man. Like, I, I, man, I, I remember, man, they, they, they you know how you, you got the room key to the room? So, like, they, somehow they got the room key from, like, the cleaning lady. They you remember old school Mike James? So they, they got his key, ran in his room while he was sleeping, threw water on him and ran out the room. Like, they, like our team was just so immature that, we couldn't have been down there in the COVID-19 bubble because we had way too many rule breakers. And there will be some young, some young guys that want to have fun that won't be thinking about the right thing. So bringing a veteran is, is the smart move. And I think that um, <clears throat> also you need guys that have experience because, you know, if a guy gets COVID-19, Ryan, he's out for 14 days. And that's not the regular out for 14 Dang. days. That is 14 days of no physical activity. You're not going to tell me you're going to miss 14 days sitting on your butt and come back and be right back in shape. You have to play your way back into shape. Yeah. So this, it's going to be it's going to be kind of problematic with everything they have going on down there. Yeah, Brandon, I, I heard that Instagram live between you two the other night <laughs> about the Wizards team. So I was laughing my butt off. And actually, I was about to ask you that question. So was Gilbert Arenas the ringleader? Who was the ringleader <laughs> of all the madness on those Wizards teams? Gilbert Arenas was clearly the ringleader of all the madness. And he got all our young guys to follow him. So like JaVel, Andre Blotch, Dominique McGuire, all those young guys were always following Gil. He was always doing something silly, whether it was, man, one time he, he took a dump in Andre Blatch's shoe, but he didn't just put it in his Hold shoe. Hold on, what? Yeah, Gil took a dump in Blatch's shoe. And what he, what he did was he went into the stall, he took Blatch's shoe. And you know how you got like the, like the art supports and stuff? He took that and lifted it up. And then he put the boo-boo underneath and then put the thing back on top. So like he, it wasn't like Andre knew right away that he, was, he had boo-boo in his shoe. That's his yeah. worst stunt. You said the shower was worse. That's his worst stunt, bro. <laughs> this, That's this his worst, worst stunt. One. This sounds like the Gil worst one. Gilbert, Gilbert all like... One day, like, man, like, on Blatch's game jersey, he cut the numbers out. But you know how your jersey is – you know how your jersey is hanging up with your warm-up with your, with your warm and everything? So he cut the numbers out and slid his jersey back on the hangers so Blatch couldn't really see it. And when it was time for us to get dressed, Blatch put his, num put his jersey on and he, he had no numbers. Gil cut the numbers out. The team <laughs> had to go get, his, had to go get him a new jersey, man. So Gil was – Gil was definitely the ringleader of the pranks. 
and he enjoyed torturing our young fellas. And guys, you know, another player on that Wizards team, and I'm sure you guys both know him personally, Nick Young. I'm in contact with him right now to actually get him on my show. Listen, fellas, you got to put in a good word for me. I need Swaggy P on this show because I'm trying to break some news of where he wants to play. So following that, where, where do you guys think he should sign? Swaggy P needs to play anywhere where they need instant offense off the bench. That's what Nick does. Like Nick's not going to be Nick's not going to be the guy that helps you as far as team rotations defensively. That's never been his strong suit. But he has always had an uncanny ability to score the ball. So if you're a team and you're like, listen, I need a guy that I can throw in in the middle of the third quarter that ain't played all half and can get me 10 to 15 points, that's Nick Young. He's instant bucket. So any team that needs instant offense in a pinch, they need to sign Nick Young. Think about New Orleans. That's a team that can maybe use some shooting around Zion. Think about Philadelphia could use another playmaker. Uh, I, I know how things went in L.A., but honestly, they can get into a rut. If LeBron's not going and you need a spark off the bench, I can see the Lakers. They rely on their defense a lot, but off offensively, I can see them being in a series and just really not being able to score points, especially with a second unit intact. In so I, I think the Lakers could really be in play there. But, you know, those teams, like you said, Brent, I agree, that are struggling to score points because, listen, Nick Young can score that thing with his, in his eyes closed. And last year, he won a Drew League championship, so we know he could fill it up. Here you go talking about the Drew League like it's, like it's an actual NBA-sanctioned summer league. It is sanctioned. LeBron played and KD. There's a, oh, we won a, there's a he ton of Drew League. Hey, he, we won a Drew League championship. Sign him to attend that. That's the only championship I, I won in my career. I took third to state and triple jump if that counts, but that's my – I came in first, man. And Brendan, Brendan Mr. Champion. <laughs> oh, he's got the championship belt on him. What? What? He's the real champ, I, Ryan. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't even know I had this laying around. My bad, right? I didn't even see you. <laughs> How about the ring, Behay? I mean, the ring. The rings in my trophy case down in a pawn shop somewhere. Nah, nah, nah. I've I've done well for myself. I haven't had to do that yet. I haven't had to pull the Randy Brown. You know, so I haven't had to do that. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Yo, no, no chill, Haywood. Yo, no chill, Haywood. You know about no chill, Gil. This man right here. Yo, hey man, you take come on, glasses man. off you, and you take them glasses off. You get off NBA TV. No chill, Haywood. No. Hey man, when I get off NBA TV, it's like watching BET uncut. Hey, you don't have to win a ring. Just go buy one. <laughs> You two oh, together God. on Instagram Live every night. It's hilarious because uh, you give the, you give the behind-the-scenes scoop on so many things, so many different stories, you know? Appreciate it, Mikey. And, and, that, and that's why we, we originally started doing the lives just to, just to hype the podcast. But then we just saw, like, more and more people start watching. We started getting a little bit, a little bit of a following, and we really enjoyed it. We're like, no, let's just do something different, man. So our lives are funny. Our lives are entertaining. We not. We, this is how we talk to each other on the regular. But we really like to give people the behind-the-scenes story. That's what people want. People want to know, like, yeah, they, yeah. Everybody knows that Gilbert averaged like 29 one year, but you don't understand like the things he was doing behind the scenes, or you don't understand like some of the stories that went on that helped shape our team. So, like, 
those type of stories, people really want that. And we have, we have a, I think we, we feel like we have an opportunity to share that with, with our fans. And fellas, if you guys ever need anything, like, you know, sometimes I listen and I turn quotes that you guys say into quote graphics. I've tagged you a couple of times. Do you need me to push any content to NBA? What the Park? heck, Mikey? I ain't seen none of that content. Tag me in it. I have yeah, no we problem. Need that. I you we need all that love. Mikey, yeah. what the heck? I ain't seen we none of that. We need the love, it. baby. We I'll need the love. I'll show it Mikey. to you. Mikey. Mikey, I have been missing all that. I'd have been thought I'd thrown that up, reshared it. Yeah, man. No, I take you. I got listen, I got close to three million fans. So whatever you guys need, just let me know. Yeah, Mikey, send me all them opinionated tags, man. Whatever you if you need us to make something just for you, we got you. I, I got you. Don't worry. Love. Hey, I pre you guys are paying it back right now by coming on my show. I really appreciate it. Every NBA fan is thinking Lakers, Clippers, Bucks is the main contenders in Disney. But things are a lot different. Who's the dark horse that you see winning the title this year? Houston Rockets. For me, it's easy. Like, I don't think that Houston is better than any of those teams. But if you're telling me, take those three teams off the board, the Houston Rockets, they have two MVP caliber players. They have a very unique style that I think will take some getting used to. And not only that, we're used to seeing James Harden kind of fade in the playoffs. James Harden has lost like 20 pounds. He's in the best shape of his life. I've never seen James Harden look – James Harden hasn't been this slim since OKC. So James Harden is in shape. I think when you look at the way Russ started playing down the stretch, James being in the best shape, when you got two guys that have MVP trophies at their house, they, they can definitely win a playoff series or two. So if I had to pick a dark horse for me, it would be the Houston Rockets. Toronto Raptors. Right. Toronto Raptors. Ooh. This could be a very ugly championship where guys don't have legs and all these three-point shooting teams can't shoot threes. Not to mention, Brendan, you brought this out quite well on NBA TV. They had a strategy in which they doubled big to big and they shut down Giannis. Giannis couldn't do anything. So uh, C Coach Bud is going to have to be real creative and move Giannis in some different situations, get him slashing in from off the basketball. But if you think you're just going to drop it in in a post and he's going to work on a Toronto – that might not work. And then you get to the championships, somebody gets COVID, somebody gets injured. You hope that really doesn't happen. But the reality is that could be a team because defensively they may be the most sound in the NBA. Hey, hey come on, man. Lightning can't strike twice. If you tell, hey, listen, if Toronto made it back to the championship and the other team's best players got COVID or got sick again, that would be the most unfair thing ever. Absolutely. You know, that would be oh, the that's a good point. Play. Yeah, it would be Toronto twice. They'd be back-to-back -back champs. Because, you know, everybody knows Toronto won the championship, but if KD was healthy, that was going to be gentlemen sweet. And then and then on top of that, Klay Thompson tears his ace. Klay Thompson missed one full game, and he didn't finish another two. Man. So, man, it was a crazy series. That's a good That's a good point. They'd be talking about three-peat after that. Be like, yo, chill out, Canadians. Chill out, Canada. <laughs> And, uh, Brendan, you spoke about the Houston Rockets. I read a report the other day that they want to cut down on James Harden's isolation plays. What's wrong with Houston, and why can't they get over the hump when the playoffs come around? I think with Houston, man, they have a, they have a systematic problem. Their problem is their system. Their problem is what wins for them in the regular season isn't the formula for winning in the postseason. So James Harden doing a bunch of one-on-one -on -one dribbling at the top of the key, sh shooting those tough shots, that doesn't win in the playoffs. The teams that win the playoffs normally move the ball. The guys get it in creative areas. Um, you know, they, they, they use their best players all over the court. 
Like, you're not going to just use, like, guys like LeBron and Kawhi from three. They're going to shoot the three. They're going to shoot the mid-range. They're going to post up. They're going to get to the free throw line. James can do all that, but in that system, they got him taking uh, 100 dribbles at the top of the key and then taking a step back. And that's why you see his percentages go down. That's why he looks like he gets worn down in the playoffs. I would love for James Harden to get off the ball more and maybe Russ have it and James comes off a pin down. When was the last time James Harden came off a pin down screen and got a wide open jump? I would love to see James Harden be used in the post. Y'all forget he used to post up. So I would love to see James Harden used all over the court. And I think that that would help their team. Well, here's the truth. The reason that James Harden keeps putting up those crazy shots, he's a counter puncher. What do I mean by that? If you send him to his right hand, uh, he, he goes right. If you send him to the left, he goes left. If you force him into the step back, he takes the step back. But the problem is when you get to the playoffs, teams are uh, <clears throat> equipped to live and die with you taking one shot. So if you're going to beat me, you got to beat me shooting a million step back threes or going to the hole and finishing with your right hand. So James Harden is going to make the play of whatever the defense gives him. I bring that up because when I play for Doc Rivers, we always want to dictate pace offensively, not just defensively. So offensively, we will find creative ways to get into our offense, to get Ray Allen running off screens. If a guy top block Ray, if they top block Ray Allen, we had the play already set up to counter him to run off the other side to where you couldn't stop Ray from getting the ball. <laughs> if two guys jumped out, worked on slips and pass around the horn to get guys open shots. So if you're in Houston, Mike D'Antoni has to have counters to where you don't see James Harden forcing to play on one-on-one because when James Harden sees a matchup he likes, what's he do? He goes to destroy it. But now, as you brought up, Brendan, he ends up playing one-on-one the entire series, though. So they've got to find a way to manufacture offense, not one-on-one, not individual performances, but offense. And you know, B, you played deep into the playoffs. The one thing a team is going to do they're going to take, take away something that you really want. And there's not a lot of fast break buckets. You have to be able to execute in the half court. So, fellas, I had Eton Thomas, Brennan, your former teammate, on the show a couple of weeks ago. We spoke about Gilbert Arenas, and he was projecting Gilbert to average like points per game in the 40s. So if he were to play today, what would he average? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Gil would have went to, like, the 40s. Gil was a really good scorer, so it really depended on the system he was in. So if he was in a regular NBA system, look for him to do about, you know, 29 to 30, kind of what Dane Lillard is doing. Um, but at, at the same time, if you put Gill in like a, a Mike D'Antoni system, yeah, he could get you 35, 36 a night. Just because you look at Gill was already a scoring point guard. He was ahead of his time. And he was a – Gill's 6'3". Six, Gill's six like, it's not like Gill's like one of these six-foot point guards. He was 6'3", had good size on so him. And when he was at the peak of his game, even being a bigger guard, he, he never slowed down to change directions. That's what made him so good. He could be going hard left, and then boom, he's going to his right. <clears throat> he was explosive. He could post up. He had a mid-range game, great free throw shooter. And listen, I've seen Gil shoot threes from the hash. Gil's, Gil's range is incredible. Like, when it comes to shooting three, I, he beat a teammate. He beat Deshaun Stevenson. You can look this up on YouTube. He beat Deshaun Stevenson in a three-point competition shooting one-handed. That's how good of a three-point shooter Gill is. So I think if Gill was playing in today's game, depending on the system, he'd look at anywhere from 30 to 35 a night. I agree 30 to 35 a night uh, because Gill had a post game. You know, I agree. He, he was a much bigger guard. And people don't think about how smart Gilbert Arenas was. You just look at the long-range shots. 
But if Gilbert had a small guy on him, he would simplify the, simplify the game, turn and shoot right over you. You know, there, there was not a lot of wasted motion. This game is extremely underrated. Uh, he knew how to get to the foul line. But here's the problem when it, when it comes to Gil and these guys scoring these big numbers back-to-back -back nights and, and, and consistently, and everybody says the new NBA is soft, it's easy to score. It's a battle of nutrition. To score 40 points a night. Nutrition. A battle of nutrition because, listen, man, when you're running, it's a, it's a, it's a battle of nutrition and conditioning. Night in and night out, to play at 130, 144-point pace, and me and you both know Gil wouldn't be playing no type of defense, but to play at that type of pace, Brendan, that wears on you. And to do it for 82 games, you start to feel that after two or three seasons in. So could he do it for one season, two seasons? Absolutely. Well, I thought you were going to say a battle of attrition. You said a battle of nutrition. That's a new one. You never cease yeah, to amaze yeah, you me. Got it. Yeah, nutrition, baby. You you never, got, he got to stay on his, you know, never. I don't know how his, how his diet was. Was he dropping by McDonald's? You know what I'm saying? Was he eating rice and, and teriyaki? And, you know what I'm saying? His, his diet can't be worse than James Harden. <laughs> Come on, man. And, hey, ain't like, ain't, like they sell, ain't like they serving healthy food at the strip club. Wow. He's really on one tonight, isn't he, Ryan? Wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yo, there's no chill in this man. This is no chill in this man. Oh my goodness. It ain't like it ain't like you ever at the strip club, everybody else getting wings, and you're like, yeah, man, let me get we used to get, get on Melvin Eli. You know, you remember let, Big Mel? Get, get, like, let, yeah. Oh yeah, let me get that salad. We were like, Mel, how do you go to Uptown Cabaret in the afternoon and go eat? They were like, I love it. I don't care. You don't change nothing to me. He, he used to live like, like right across the street from there. So, Ryan, you were a member of those Los Angeles Clippers teams with, you know, the big three of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, plenty of great players on that bench as well. And that's another team that just couldn't get over the hump and get to the finals. What happened with that team and why, why weren't they so successful? Man, here's the reality when it comes to the way the NBA's played. However we want to, you know, shape this thing out. <laughs> and Gil had a good, has a good point because he always believes that there's no pure point guards that win championships. It's scoring guards. The reality is the two guard and the three guard, the, win the, the most dominant wing players dating back to, you know, since Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and all, those are most likely <laughs> the guys that go out and win the championship. Our two stars were our point guard and our power forward. And the power forward ended up, we started to see, it was pretty much a dead position. So you had the Miami Heat with Wade, and, and Bosch, and then you had the Spurs during that era, and they were a, a complete team. They had just about everything, and the coach included. So, you know, having a point guard and a forward is easy to guard. And then when it got down to playoff times, you have Blake, who hadn't really developed his three-point shot all the way, playing alongside DeAndre Jordan. And teams were just sitting in the paint. They wouldn't guard DeAndre, so they would zone up on Blake. So things became really, really hard for us. And, you know, like I brought out earlier, you can't just run in the playoffs. You can't face a fast break. <laughs> And we were a live city. That was the one of the, th one of the things that we did. We did extremely well. But you're starting to see teams trend more towards the big scoring guard, the Kawhi Leonard, the Paul George, the LeBron James, Kevin Durant. You need those guys to go out and win you champions. And if you have a point guard, I actually do agree with Gil to this. And don't tell him I said this. Don't play this for him. But, yeah, you do need a Steph Curry or a Westbrook. You need those guys that can fill it up uh, at the point guard position. There's no just natural point guards playing anymore. And Brendan, in Washington, your teammates are Michael Jordan. I had Eduardo Nahara on last episode. Hey. Yeah, baby, Eddie. And he was telling me 
how MJ used to challenge all the players as the team owner. And he would kick mm-hmm. Steven Jackson's butt, Gerald Wallace's butt. When you played with him in Washington, would players try to step to MJ and would he squash them? How did that work? Not, players didn't really try to step to MJ because it was a little bit different because we were playing with a guy that was also uh, the president of basketball operations. So you don't want to go off if you're smart. You don't want to mouth off at your at your boss. You know, you, you don't want to do that. Um, so uh, most guys kept, kept, a, kept a PG with MJ. We did have Byron Russell on the team, and he, he, he would consistently try and challenge MJ in practice, but it was the no – like, MJ was just so much better than him, man. It, it, got, it got to the point where it was embarrassing because he would talk to MJ, and then MJ would just, just turn it up, and he'd be on one, and he would just be cooking them. Like, I remember in one clip – I mean, one practice, like, he told – like, after hitting the game, when he shot on Byron Russell, he said, man – Stop trying to guard me, man. You're known as the human highlight reel. Not because you have any highlights of your own, but because you're in all of mine. I mean, I'm just like, oh, that's just, that's just, that's just so hurtful because he's hit so many game winners on Byron Russell. So to say that, it was just like, boy, please, shut your mouth. Yeah, Brian Russell, when I was playing baseball, Utah's in town to play the Bulls. They're practicing at the facility. I go over and say hello to John and Carl. And this kid, Brian Russell, comes up to me and says, man, why you quit? Why you quit? Man, you knew I could guard your ass. I couldn't, you, you had to quit. I said, Carl, you need to talk to this dude, man. No, he's just a young rookie. But from that point on, he's been on my list. And Brennan, how, how was your relationship with MJ? Any problems with him? All respect? What did he teach you as well? Uh, for me, it was all respect, man. Um, I, had, I understood the business. And I had some guys that, you know, early on in my career, they had to go talk to business. They had to go talk to MJ in the front office. And they came back and they told me, listen, when you go in to talk to MJ in the front office, that's a lot different than the guy that's in this locker room. And I never forgot that. So for me, I always kept the business. I love Mike. He taught me a lot about um, what it is to work hard and, and, and really get in there and do your business um, before practice even starts. But I never got too – I never tried to get too friendly because I understood that's my boss. Well, well, Michael was actually my owner. He was the team president at the time. And I'll say the time he called me in the office, um, for one, I, I was shocked to get called into the office. I didn't know what was going on. First thing he says is he's not cutting me. You know, and I didn't even know that guys went to the office to get cut. I didn't even know my contract situation like that. I just thought I was playing basketball. And that's the only thing that mattered in the universe at the time. But I'll say what blew me away was Michael's humility. And not just that, how intelligent Michael is. He truly, truly knows the game of basketball. Uh, he's, a, he's a student of the game. I believe at a certain point he's going to turn things around with the Bobcats, but He's got to tinker and, and, and try things out and fail and figure stuff out. But the one thing I love is, like, Michael's so, so intelligent. You have no idea how many little nuances and how many things he knows about the game of basketball. But, yeah, it's something he's going to work at. He's going to become very obsessive about being an owner and going out and drafting and getting the right draft picks and getting the right players. So I see him at some point going and turning that thing around. I don't think he's been good. I think he'll tell you he hasn't been that good. But I, I, how, as obsessive and intelligent as Michael is, it wouldn't surprise me if he turns the Bobcats into world champs one day. First, first of all, you said it wouldn't surprise you if he turned the Bobcats into, into world champions? Excuse me. Um, a, you want to reclip that? Now, well, that yeah, yeah, that's, now, a, that's a, my, my mindset. You want to reclip that? 
winning a championship in 2011, Brendan, with the Dallas Mavericks. You play with so many legends like Dirk, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry. Talk about that grind in that postseason. You guys had to go through Brandon Roy in Portland, Kobe in the Lakers, and then you met uh, LeBron James. Oh, Russell Westbrook, KD, and Harden. And then you met LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and the Miami Heat in the finals. Talk to me about that, about that whole season. Man, our, our team was just uh, was, was just unbelievable as far as chemistry goes and as far as just wanting to be great. Everybody wanted to really sacrifice and buy in. Like, one thing about that team, this is how, this is how mentally into it guys were. We played in Orlando, and Deshaun Stevenson lives in Orlando. So everybody went to his house um, and, and was hanging out. He had food and drinks for everybody. And he had his tattoo artist there. And I believe we can win a championship, too. But I don't think I believe as much as Jason Terry. Jason Terry says, yo, B. Wood, I'm about to get the championship tattoo. I was like, like permanently? He's like, yeah. He said he gets the championship tattoo tattooed on his bicep at that moment. He said, man, we win the championship this year. I'm all in. I'm like, yeah, I believe you, but I don't, I don't believe as much as you. So I'm just going to go ahead and slide out the back door where y'all get these tattoos. But yeah, like he got a championship tattoo on his bicep and that just showed the mentality. Jason Terry was all the way in it. So was most of the guys on the team, and we really believed. And if you look at that champion, that championship run in the playoffs was defined by two games. The Oklahoma City game, where we're up two, I think we're up 2-1, and this five minutes to play, we're down, I want to say, 15 points, and we come back. And then the Miami Heat series, where there's six minutes to play, we're down uh, 16 points, and we come back in, in game two. Those two moments really shaped the championship series and it showed who we were, it showed our resiliency. And to this day, maybe I'm being biased, but I don't think there's been a team that's had a better run than the Dallas Mavericks did that year. Like, when you look at who we beat, especially when we look at Dirk Nowitzki, because he was balling, people forget he was 32. At 32 years old, Dirk beat Kobe and Powell. Then after beating Kobe and Powell, he beats Russ, Durant, and Harden. And then after beating those young gunners, then he beats LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. All those teams had multiple megastars, and it was Dirk. You know, we, we had guys that had been all-stars, but nobody was an all-star with them at that time. Sean Marion wasn't an all-star at that time. Jason Kidd wasn't an all-star at that time. So that run, I don't know if there's a team that can say they, they beat a list of Hall of Famers like we did that season. And, fellas, I'm a young journalist here in New York. You know, I love what I do with NBA Buzz and social media. Seems like you guys love what you do as well. So can you talk to me about the transition from being an NBA veteran in the league for so long to becoming a broadcaster and doing podcasts and all that stuff? It takes a lot of work, I, I will say. And, uh, you know, my hat's off to everybody, you know, on the production side because what's really nice is, you know, when we go to SiriusXM or NBA TV or ESPN, you know, you, you have your little, you know, five or ten or, 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 or head or, or two-hour show or hour show, and we go ahead and get out of there. But the people actually producing it, putting the content together, you know, bringing stuff together, like we see a whole different element of that work. And then obviously having to take the meetings behind the scenes. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm sure Brennan agrees. But now you understand, you know, the real rewards, because when you put something together, you built a brand, you've grown the brand and then you sell it or you have an opportunity to make some money or some marketing from it. You know, that's a beautiful thing. And that's really when we're talking about ownership versus just being talent or being on the show versus owning the show. So um, I, I think it's really cool to build. And, and, I, and I was telling Brendan this today, man, we're very spoiled 
in this short amount of time to have the support that we've had. You know, obviously there's a lot to come, but, you know, a lot of this is coming fast. And, you know, you have guys who have been in the podcast game or, or streaming or TV for a very, very long time. So uh, I think it's really cool to come together, and I can't be more appreciative of the support. Yeah, man, I mean, getting into the broadcasting business has been a blessing because I think both of us, we do it for the love. It's not about, it's not about the money. It's about these games that I'm talking about when I'm on NBA TV, I was going to watch those games regardless. Now I just get paid to talk about it. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's one of those things that I get to – I love to be me, and that's, that's sometimes a little bit entertaining, sometimes funny, but at the same time I love to break down the game, and I get a chance to do that, whether it's on the lives with Ryan – whether it's on our podcast or whether it's doing something with NBA TV or CBS or when I work the NCAA tournament. It's net, like I said, we, we, I think that regardless of the money, this is something that we would be doing anyway. Matter of fact, like my first, I want to say was my second year out, first or second year out, me and Danny Granger, we both worked for CBS. And so, man, like it was a Saturday and we, you know, NBA players, we're used to working three, four hour blocks. And man, when you work at CBS on a Saturday, you work from noon till midnight. I just leaned over to Danny. I said, man, you ever think you'd be working a 12-hour day for 2500 <laughs> And he just busted out laughing because when you're an NBA player, man, you, you get, like, that's not even the first quarter. The first, like, you're so used to a different level of money and a different level of working. Like, yo, I work three, four hours, and I'm getting this amount of, out of money. This is what my check looks like. So it's a little bit different, but I wouldn't change it because I, we don't, we were laughing. Like, we're not doing this for the money, man. We're doing this for the love and the experience. And Ryan, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. You know, I've seen you on ESPN countless mornings, wake up, watch you on TV. Now I got you on my show. Talk to me about Stephen A. Smith, your relationship, and heated arguments that you have. What happens after the scenes when you guys have heated arguments? You know what's intriguing, I say, with Stephen A., um, he's very quiet and soft-spoken. You know, he's not a guy I think everybody assumes he'd pop into the room and start, uh, you, know, you know, going off on one of his rants. He's real reserved, you know, very, very quiet, very, very to himself, you know. So, you know, he, he moves in a different type of light. And uh, you got to understand with Stephen A, um, he's ha he, hats off to him, man. He's probably the hardest working man in the business, but he ha he's had to grind for everything that he has. So um, he, he's an intriguing guy. He, he's a tough cookie. He's a tough cookie to crack. Um, but he's, he's a very intriguing guy. And there's, there's, there's things going on behind the scenes with him, man. He... When you get to that level, how would I put it? When you think of a, a Kobe and a Michael, one thing we learned from the last dance, like when Michael Jordan went home, he didn't stop being Michael Jordan during that span. Like he was obsessive about it. Stephen A the same way. He's still on his phone looking at everything that everybody's saying. He's on the phone making calls, trying to get an inside scoop. So the business really never stops with, for a guy like that. Hey man, Stephen A Smith is always gonna be my guy. He, hey. Stephen A. Smith kept me from making probably one of the worst decisions of my life because it was when I played in D.C. and we were in Miami and it was me and Stephen A. Smith and it, he, we, we were on a double date because my, my living girlfriend at the time, um, you know, had a very nice friend and her and Stephen A. They all went out to eat and listen, we got, my girl kind of got mad. We kind of got into it at dinner. And so it was, you know, we're in prime 112. I'm like, man, come on, baby, you got to get back here. You're embarrassing us. And at the end of the night, we go get the car. And Stephen A. Smith just looks at me. He was like, you know, when you get married, those type of situations are going to become worse and more and more frequent. 
and he left it at that. And I thought, I think to myself, you know what? He's right. She's out of here. <laughs> and like, like, let go. I, I promise you, when I see him, I always tell him to this day, that's the best advice you ever gave me. Because I had to think about the situation. I was like, do I want to live my life like this? And he was like, listen, man, I, hey, you got to make a decision. Is that how you want your life to be? And you know what? I made some decisions and I, I ended up breaking up with her. And years later, I got, I met my wife and we got married and we couldn't be happier. So Stephen A. Smith, I love you, brother. You saved my life. You saved me. And guys, what's next for the Opinionated 7 Footers podcast? And where can we find it on social media? Man, you could check us uh, out, obviously, between Brennan's page and myself. We also uh, created the Seven Footers uh, Opinionated uh, Instagram page. where We're going to be doing a lot more activity and stuff. And, you know, ultimately, I believe our lives are going to be coming from there. Um, but even with the, with the bigger picture, with the much uh, bigger picture, Opinionated Seven Footers podcast on IG, on IG, that could easily be picked up as a TV show, a segment, you know, I, I think once people are going to really start to see the chemistry between Brennan and I, you know, the sky's the limit for that. And obviously even too with, with the podcast, but I like the one cool thing about the podcast, Mike, and you see this with what you're doing. Guys kind of just like to let the collar down, let the hair down, take the hat off and just kind of chill and relax. Like the fellas sometimes and you get more of that vibe on a, on a podcast versus when you're coming on TV and you got that little camera staring down and there's a, you know, questions and all this, you know, noise around. So I think the podcast is something we don't let go, obviously. But I, I, I can, you know, I can definitely easily see uh, uh, Haywood and Hollins becoming a TV show or a segment or something that where, you know, me and Brendan and I are used together a lot more. Yeah, man, we're just both very passionate about media and sports in general. So whether we're talking about Haywood and Hollins becoming a show or the Opinionated Seven Footers podcast, becoming a top tier podcast, we're just going to ride the wave, see where it goes. And Listen, man, we're going to have fun doing it. Whatever happens, happens. We're doing this for the love, honestly. It's not about the Absolutely. money. We're doing, this for the love. we're doing this for the love. Shoot, we go over the time sometimes and, like, we ain't really like, all right, yeah, we got to go. But, like, it's very easy. You know, we're we supposed to cut right at five, and we just, we just start rolling, you know? Yeah. And Brendan's a little long-winded sometimes, so, you know, you know how that is, I dog. I can be. I can be. I was the only... I was the only child, man. I had, I had to play by myself. So now sometimes when I get the microphone, I don't play well with others. <laughs> and pay attention when, whenever there's an argument, it burns him to get the last word. So if I say the last yeah. word and I try to move the topic, he's like, we're not moving the topic. And if I do it, he'll move the topic and refer back to his last point. He, listen, yeah. this man don't like, he don't, listen, he, he gonna get his last word. And a guy's not done working with me yet, okay? I'm trying to, I'm trying to become a better human being every day. <laughs> so, guys, to end the night, give me your MVP of the season and who's going to win the championship in Disney. Oh, we, we both going to have the same answer. I already know what he's going to say, and that's going to be exactly what I'm going to say. Well, I don't know if you change. Well, I would say, listen, I'm going to give a reason. Uh, uh, Giannis, I, I'm going to tell you why LeBron's not the MVP. LeBron's not the MVP because he hasn't been consistent all season long. He lost the first two matches against Kawhi Leonard and where Kawhi dominated. And in the second game, LeBron couldn't close the game out and they had a lead. Kawhi Le LeBron James since then has become the best player in basketball. He's regained his throne, but you didn't have the consistency. When you think of consistency, it's gotta be a guy who's been doing it all season long. And Brendan, I would say that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, uh, LeBron James is the best player in the league, but the best having the best season, that would be Giannis. Giannis is averaging more points. 
He's averaging more rebounds. He's averaging more blocks. He might, Giannis might be defensive player of the year. He has one of the highest PERs in NBA history. This isn't his team has a slightly better record. This isn't even a, a, even a battle. Like, I, if I got to win one game, yeah, give me LeBron James. But if, who's the MVP? It's Giannis. And it really isn't that close. Like, when you look at LeBron, LeBron doesn't lead his own team in scoring, rebounds, blocks. That's Anthony Davis. So when you look at Giannis doesn't have an Anthony Davis, and he's still doing that. I know he's doing it in the East, but he's been doing it all year long. And he's been doing it at both ends. When you got a guy that can average 30, but then go out there and get 14 rebounds like he's a starting center, oh, and then lock up and block shots and, do, and be a weak side defender and on-ball defender, you got to show that guy some love. Giannis is the MVP. And who's winning the chip, guys? Clippers. Clip show. No, I, I, I actually, we, we don't agree on this one. Oh, you uh, turned coat. Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I, listen, I thought going in, this was the Clippers to lose. But amidst COVID-19, I'm going to have to lean on something we talked about earlier, Brendan, experience. So I'm looking at the guy who's been to nine NBA finals, three championships, and probably more playoff teams than a number of these, these teams combined all together. Uh, I'm looking at LeBron James. So I think LeBron James is a favorite to win a championship. And not only is he, has he become the best player in the world, I believe with his, uh, with his ability to condition and work out during COVID-19, understanding what's at stake with COVID-19 and the veteran team around him, I think is going to lean towards LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. I like the Clippers. I think they're deeper. I think they're built to play against LeBron. They have multiple bodies they can throw at him, whether it's Kawhi, Paul George, um, Morris Twin, like whoever. They have so many different bodies they can throw at LeBron James. And then on top of that, the Clippers have multiple layers to their scoring. Like if Kawhi Leonard has 22, they can still win the game that night. If LeBron James has 22, unless he has like 18 assists, the Lakers are going to be in trouble. Because you look at the scoring for the Clippers, you got Kawhi, you got Paul George, you got Lou Will. He can go for 30 or 40 on a given night. Montrez Harrell, Reggie Jackson. There are so many scores on this team. Their depth is, is insane. And then at the end of the day, if it's a close game, I love Frank Vogel. He is a good coach, but I'm giving the nod to that, that Clippers bench when you talk about Doc Rivers, Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, a lot of experience over there, man. Championship-level experience. For Ryan Hollins and Brendan Haywood, I'm Mikey Domagala. You just watched another episode of Inside Buzz. Fellas, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you giving me your time, both of you. Thanks again. Thanks for having us, man. Anytime, appreciate brother. You already know.